This is Liam Hendricks, and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Barroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I am extremely excited to be on here, the Barroom Network, talking about the sports ball with each and every one of you. It has been my absolute pleasure to be on this show today. Uh, I see we have a couple people already in the chat. Travis, how we doing? Good to see you. Thank you, as always, for listening. You know, thank you for being here always. I'm appreciative to each and every person in the chat. This is going to be a big show. I know spring training has started. I know this is primarily a baseball show. But as people are starting to kind of realize, I talk about football on my hockey show. I talk about football on my baseball show. I just love football. I love incorporating it with the other sports and seeing, you know, what other people think. I like getting multiple different opinions on certain things. And that is why I decided that I'm going to let bygones be bygones. You all know I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I actually watch Aaron Rodgers Tuesday, every single Tuesday, no matter what, on the Pat McAfee show. I don't miss it as if my life depended on it. And as a result, I enjoy the conversation around the entire NFC North. And there's nobody I'd rather talk about the Green Bay Packers with than Paul Brettel of the Packers Wire, Dairyland Express. Paul, how are we doing? I'm fantastic. Happy to join you, Vinny. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I have never in my life seen somebody be like, you know what I want to do? I want to paint my walls green and yellow. <laughs> how did that come to be? I thought, you know, I do some... Uh podcasting youtube videos myself thought it was a nice background since i spend most of the time talking about the green bay packers honestly i love it <laughs> like i love it i like we i want to we could get some like some navy and orange up behind you black and white for the white socks yeah make it work exactly exactly i'm all in on that kind of stuff and you know there are bears fans and then we'll, we'll get into the actual conversation but there are bears fans who like pretend to hate that color scheme but then they'll go and talk about how the Oakland A's have this great <laughs> uniform. So I'm like, so you like them, but not, I, you just hate the Packers. Like, just admit you hate the Packers. Because the color scheme has its has its you know pros and cons. But, I mean, mm -hmm. where, where, what's your stand on that? On the green and yellow? Yeah. I mean, obviously partial to it. But, I you know, in terms of the color schemes that are out there, I can see why it's not someone's favorite. That's fair. That's fair. So 2022, very interesting season for the Green Bay Packers. It started off okay, you, you know, playing well in the first couple weeks of the season. Then things kind of flew off the rails a little bit, lost a couple games in a row, made it really seem like Green Bay had no chance of making it to the mm -hmm. postseason. And then they got on this tear. Aaron Rodgers doesn't lose in December, guys. You think Aaron Rodgers is going to lose in December? You're wrong. 
I want to know what was your take pros and cons of the 2022 season as a whole. Uh, in general, I think the performance on the defensive side of the ball through the first, you know, large portion of the season, at least over half of it was, was underwhelming and disappointing, you know, expectations, not just in green Bay, but I think around the NFL was that this group had the potential to be one of the top uh, defensive units in the NFL. And it just, it just didn't turn out that way. I think the lack of edge rusher depth, especially once Rashawn Gary went down, was uh, exposed during the course of the season with their inability to get after the quarterback with any regularity. And then on the back end, there was just too many coverage breakdowns, miscommunications that led to big plays. And then, of course, there's the defensive game plan um, from defensive coordinator Joe Barry that left a lot of us scratching our heads each week and how the players were utilized. It was a very passive approach. And in part, in their turnaround, because they did start playing some pretty good football during the last during the win streak, basically the last five or so games of the season. And there was a you know there was more press coverage. There was uh, you know he was letting Jair Alexander move around on the field. And in part, the defensive front was playing some of their best football this season as well. They were more stout against the run, um, getting more consistent pressure. So it just took way longer to gel than what I think any of us had expected on the defensive side of the ball. And then on offense, it's just, you know, just into life without Devontae Adams. One thing that I don't think it's talked about a lot was the offensive line play early on in the season because it wasn't until week 10 that the Packers had their preferred starting five start an entire game in consecutive weeks. And when the offensive line play isn't there, I mean, that's the foundation. I know we all look to the quarterback and the receiver, but uh, you know that movement, that lack of continuity, they couldn't get the run game going regularly. You could tell that Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers were – protecting the offensive line a little bit early on in the season with the quick passing game you know it adjusted their game plan how they approach games and so I think from there that just really snowballed and exposed the rest of the offense fast forward to the second half of the season things start picking up you see uh you know Christian Watson's emergence which was obviously very helpful but again it goes back to the offensive line Green Bay leaned on the run game. When the run game went well, it opened up the passing game. There were two games in particular during that final stretch against Tennessee and against the Lions, uh, both games that they lost, and the offense put up 17 points and 16 points in each of those is because both of those defenses stopped the run game. And the Packers' passing game just wasn't good enough to where it had to be the answer, where they had to lean on it heavily and support and help move the ball they needed the run game to help open it up so that's kind of just the high level overview of you know again and there was a million things that went wrong I think we all like try to find like the one or two reasons why something didn't work out and there's a million things that went wrong for this Packers team but trying to put a bow high level overview of it that's that that's my observations of it at this time Travis seems to think David Bakhtiari is overrated tell me why that's wrong <laughs> <laughs> Other than the fact that he is always injured. <laughs> He's been working through the knee injury. Uh, you know, when he was on the field last year, when he was playing, he was still playing at a super high level. And in the second half of the season, the knee wasn't the issue. He missed that stretch of games with the appendix, but he didn't miss any games due to the knee injury. And like I said, when he was playing, he was at a really high level. Uh, you know, if you utilize like pro football focus in terms of like pressures allowed, uh, sack rate, all that stuff. He was still ranking very highly among tackles in the NFL. Uh, so I don't think he's overrated. And hopefully now that he's 
I think anyways, healthy, he'll have this full off season to go through whatever his normal routine looks like, something that he talked about that he couldn't do last year, obviously, or the year before as he was still working through the knee injury. But when he was on the field, he was playing at a high level and he and the Packers uh, found what ended up being a good like uh, schedule for him throughout the week. Uh, he didn't practice all three days routinely, but it got him ready for game day. So his knee was in good shape and that wasn't an issue during the end of the season. So, uh, you know, they're going to need if, you know, if they're going to find any sort of success on offense, regardless of who the quarterback is this coming season, you know, it's going to take Bakhtiari playing at a high level along that offensive line. 100%. When Devontae Adams was traded away, I moved Bakhtiari up from the third best player on the team to the second best player on the mm-hmm. team. Like that, that's legitimately what I think of that guy. And man, you know, I want to make fun of him too, but he's just absolutely incredible. <laughs> you know, all joking aside, he he's a really, really good player. And I hope he is healthy for this upcoming season. You touched on the potential of someone mm-hmm. else playing quarterback for the Green Bay Packers in 2023. We'll get to that in a second, but we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers a little bit. I watch Pat McAfee every week <laughs> Tuesday, Aaron Rodgers Tuesday. I watch it like appointment TV, as I said. <laughs> He announced on there he's doing the darkness retreat. What is the kind of takeaway from that amongst Packers fans? I think it's, I think it's mixed. I think everyone wants to just kind of have a decision and know where this team's going to be headed, you know, moving forward this season. And obviously, we want to know as soon as possible. But in the grand scheme of like the NFL offseason, there still is time. I mean, I think like the absolute <clears throat> latest that you'd want anything to be done would be obviously before free agency just because there's obviously cap implications for the Packers, uh, whether they keep them, whether they trade them, the team, if, if a new team acquires them. And so you want to have all that set so you can go into free agency knowing, you know, what do we have available? And for the Packers who don't have a ton of cap space, you know, they're going to have to be restructuring contracts. So again, that's going to might affect how many of those contracts they restructure to what extent they restructure some of those contracts. So of course, the sooner, the better, but, in the like I said, in the grand scheme of the NFL offseason, there still is time uh, for that to shake out, to unfold. And uh, you know, Rogers has said that he doesn't want to, you know, hold the Packers hostage, you know, in waiting for a decision. And he said that last year as well. And you know, I believe him, and I believe him in that regard. So I think it's just the waiting game. But you have to think that we're getting to the, you know, to the end of it, and we're going to have our answer one way or the other. And you know, to be honest, I I don't know which way it's going to go. Does it annoy you, the attitude that he has towards some of this sometimes? Like, I, I listen, nobody is in any way, shape, or form taking away his ability to perform on the field. He is one of the single greatest throwers of the football I've ever seen in the history of the league. He's, he gets frustrated when people are just curious about things in his life and what he's doing. It's like, dude, this is the National Football League. People like this is important stuff. People care what the Packers are going to be doing. It's a billion dollar industry for a reason. And a large part of it is because of what players do and don't do. People want to know what's going on in the life of Aaron Rodgers when it pertains to playing football in the year 2023, the year that we're currently living in. Is that kind of get annoying to the Packers fan base as well? What's your gauge on that? Um, I, I think so. I think to some degree for some fans that, that does, you know, I'll just speak for myself, uh, personally, I think that, and Brian Gudikins even talk about this when you have a transcendent player like Aaron Rodgers, you know, you're, you're, you're willing to, you know, uh, accompany or be okay with some of those things that happen off the field. It's when the play starts to decline where some of that can become a little bit much. And, 
you know, maybe we're at that point for, for some fans. Uh, but like I said, in the grand scheme of it all, there's still time for, you know, decisions to be made for things to play out. I get, we all want to know now, now, now what's going to take place, but you know, he's working through and making the decision that's best for him. I do think that if he does return to the Packers for this season, that, you know, a conversation that should be worth having between Gudikins, Lafleur, and Rodgers is off-season programs. You know, you can say what you want about, is that valuable for Aaron Rodgers to be ready for the NFL season? No, I don't think so. He doesn't have to be there to go play week one. But you look at last year's offense, you know, a young receiving core, I think it could have been really valuable for him to be a part of that and, you know, try to help bring those guys up to speed a little bit quicker. Does that you know, do they go from being, you know, eight and nine to, you know, 12 and five in a playoff team with that? Probably not. But it's the little culture building things in the building that I think could have helped progress things a little bit quicker. And, you know, with that, as the leader of the team, you see, you know, there were other high level players who maybe didn't show up or not, you know, in regards to whether Rogers was there. So I think that's something that can really benefit them and should be a part of the conversation about, you know, Rogers talks about, I want to make sure I'm all in for this upcoming season and returning. And to me, a part of that should be the off season programs. Cause he was very, very diligent about attending them up until like a, a year or two ago. And I think for a young offense, that's just going to be important for him to be there. Absolutely. Um, given the Packers salary cap issues, are there any potential cap casualties Aldo wants to know in the chat? I don't think any cuts. There were two that could have happened. One would have been Aaron Jones. If they would have cut him, they would have saved a little over $10 million in cap space. They, he took a pay cut and they restructured his deal. So they ended up saving just shy of $12 million, but of course pushed more cap charges into future years. Uh, and I was never on that uh, I never thought that that was a good idea. I know there's the whole paying running backs thing, but he was the most consistent playmaker on this offense. Wasn't even close. And this was an offense that still needed more playmaking. Taking Aaron Jones out of it, they get worse. It's that simple. And they, they can't do that. They just don't have that luxury to move on from him given the rest of the group. And if Jordan loves the quarterback, I still think the Packers offseason should look pretty similar to if Rodgers is a quarterback. And what I mean by that is they should still be trying to win. Obviously, if Rodgers is back, they're going to do their best to do so. If Love is back or if Love is the starter, you know, there shouldn't be this reset of, all right, let's reset the salary cap. Let's get some guys off the books. Give opportunity to succeed. This is the fourth year of his rookie deal. They got to make a decision on his fifth year option. The worst thing that can happen is they, He's if is if he starts this year and a year from now, the Packers are like, ah, is he the guy? Is he not? You need to know one way or the other a year from now. Is he the guy? So then you can either extend them and roll with them or you start looking for your next quarterback. And so in order to do that properly, I think you got to help him a little bit and put a team around him. And so a long winded way of saying that does not include getting rid of Aaron Jones. The other player who could have been a cap casualty is David Bakhtiari. But doing so would save the Packers just over $5 million in cap space. As we already talked about, he's still playing at a really high level. And in today's NFL, $5 million in cap space, what does that get you? Like, even if he misses games, I'll take 12 games of David Bakhtiari over $5 million in cap space that gets, I don't even know, what is that, like a third receiver maybe? Like, I'll take Bakhtiari. So they just don't really have any guys that... 
there's any sort of significance because you know it's there's Preston Smith, Devondre Campbell, Razul Douglas, but like moving on from them, it's a million dollars, it's two million dollars. Like their value on the football field is so much greater than that that it's just not really an option. Yeah, you could cut David Bakhtiari and sign Byron Pringle from the Bears to be their <laughs> number four receiver next year. I'll probably make five catches and one touchdown reception. Where do you where do you, Paul, gut feeling? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Where do you have Aaron playing in twenty twenty three? That's a tough one. I go back and forth. I think I think Love's going to be the quarterback. I think a trade's going to happen if I just had to guess. But, you know, there's so many different scenarios out there, and you can make a logical, you know, reasoning explanation for a lot of them playing out. Uh, but I think that, <clears throat> um, you know, Love will be the quarterback. They'll trade him. And if I had to guess right now, I'll go with the Raiders just because the Devontae Adams connection, you know what I mean? He's already there. Uh, the Raiders have – I think like 20 plus million in cap space to, you know, take on Rogers contract and still build around him. And then something to, I think is worth watching is the Raiders also have Darren Waller. Uh, Gudikins has tried to trade for Waller twice in the last, or reportedly tried to trade for Waller twice in the last calendar year. They wanted him a part of the Devante deal. And then supposedly before this most recent trade deadline, you know, they were, they were inquiring about him as well. So Again, just a total shot in the dark, but if I had to guess, that's that's the prediction I'll throw out there. Very interesting. So would Jordan Love be the guy then? Like, Are you confident in that, or are you thinking like, wow, we really ruined this first-round pick from, what well, I think it was 2020? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. If, I, if, you know, at the time, of course, I wanted them to take a receiver, something that would help them get over the hump. As far as what – is Jordan Love the guy? I mean, I have no idea. We'll have to, we'll have to find out and see. The one thing I'll say is, I know everyone points to that Eagles game, but in the limited action he's had, he did look like he's definitely made strides in the right direction. Now, of course, that small, super small sample size doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of it all, but you at least saw some progression, something to hold on to to give you confidence. And Matt LaFleur comes from you know the Kyle Shanahan, the Sean McVay coaching tree, where life is supposed to be made very or not very, it's football, but it's relatively speaking easier on the quarterback. And so that's why we've seen, you know, Niners teams with Jimmy Garoppolo get to the Super Bowl, Jared Goff under the Rams get to the Super Bowl. And again, I'm not saying Jordan Love's going to do that for the Packers, but my point is in this system, you don't necessarily need a Hall of Fame guy to shoulder the burden to carry you there. You know, it's, you know, it's like I said, it's meant to be you know, take that burden off of the quarterback. So for the Packers to be successful, obviously Love is going to have to play well. Uh, again, don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but to be successful, you know, to be a playoff team, for example, he doesn't necessarily need to be a Hall of Fame caliber player either. Yeah, for sure. And we've seen plenty of teams across the NFL in the last couple of years really good coaching, really good scheming. You find ways to win, mm-hmm. even if you have just a, like a, a middle of the pack type quarterback. The NFC North was a prime example of that. And we'll touch on the NFC North in just a minute. But I do want to know, let's pretend there is a world where Aaron does return and he plays for Green Bay in 2023. Where is the team then going to look on the rest of the roster to improve? Because if they play, if they have Aaron Rodgers, they're trying to win the Super Bowl. I don't think there's any, you know, middle of the pack, like, hey, we're okay to just develop Jordan Love. Like, there's none of that if Aaron Rodgers is under center in 2023. So what are they looking to improve if he does come back? 
So a big one that comes to mind first is tight end. Right now, the only tight ends they have on the roster are Josiah DeGora, who's more of like an H-back, and then they got two practice squad guys. And in general, they need more playmaking at that position. Uh, Robert Tunyon, super, super reliable last year, but he averaged 8.9 yards per catch. I think that ranked like 34th out of 43 tight ends. And, I mean, just go and look at like the NFL playoffs this year. There were tight ends you know, on a lot of those final teams that made – big plays had were were impactful on their offenses and the Packers just didn't have that. So I think that's one area, both from a depth perspective, but also they need some more juice at that position. Uh, they need to continue building out the depth of the receiver position. And this is a super, super young room. So the Packers fourth round pick in 2022, Romeo Dobbs, in terms of snap count, he's currently the most experienced receiver on the roster, 529. Uh, so they're going to need to <laughs> add a veteran in, in free agency. And again, they're not going to have a ton of cap space. So I don't expect any sort of big move. And that also shouldn't impact what they do in the draft. Like if they go sign a, a veteran free agent, they should also look into spending a top 100 pick on the position as well. Cause again, still need more playmaking on the offensive side on defense. The two positions that really stand out are edge rusher. Like I said, when Gary went down last year, though, there was just a lack of consistent pressure from the edge rusher position and right now, Gary suffered the ACL injury in week nine. Chances are he's going to miss the start of the season, so they need more there. And then safety, uh, Adrian Amos, he's a free agent. And then so that leaves the Packers with Darnell Savage, Tariq Carpenter, Vernon Scott, James Wiggins, a very thin group on experience. And Savage was even benched at one point last year. Just way too many communication breakdowns, missed tackles on his part. And he's better suited playing more in the slot closer to the line of scrimmage in that typical, you know, traditional safety position. So those are the two big positions on the defensive side of the ball that they're going to need to, to address as well. hundred percent. Very interesting. I do think, you know, you're trying to win. I, one point you touched on that. I do want to talk about a little bit. You seem to agree with me on the importance of the position of tight end. And mm -hmm. I'm like this huge tight end apologist. I almost want to start a tight end podcast <laughs> on this network where I just you know, I analyze tight ends across the NFL and college football. You, you spot on Gronkowski until the day he retired was in the mm -hmm. NFC or AFC championship. No. And I know Tom Brady had a lot to do with that, but he was his number one receiver for a lot of the years, regardless of what mm -hmm. team it was. We see what Kittle does for the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously Kelsey is a two-time Super Bowl champion. A guy like Evan Engram helping Trevor Lawrence elevate the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. That's the most important. It's not the most important position, but it's far from a depth position. I think it's more important than an elite running back at this point. You can have a running back mm -hmm. duo, you know, be impactful. No tight end could just step in and be great. What about like a Michael Meyer or a Dalton Kincaid for the Packers in the middle? Is it like middle first round? I don't know their exact mm -hmm. first round pick. Yeah, they got uh pick 15 and 45 in rounds one and two. Um, yeah, I certainly think that's in play. I think this is a position where they really have to go with the draft and explosive rookie, but bring in a veteran as well because tight ends a position. I think you just mentioned as well, it's it's a really, really tough one to step in and produce at a high level right away. They got to know blocking techniques and responsibilities like alignment. They got to know route concepts and trees like a receiver. Uh, there's this one stat going back to 2003. There's only been, I believe, three tight ends, rookie tight ends during that span that have put up more than 600 yards in their first season. So in terms of like a significant impact, you know, it's tough to find right away. Uh, and so that's where I think, 
having a veteran presence to provide some stability to lean on as the tight end gets up to speed in that regard. I think that's the route that the Packers have to go. So someone like Tanyan, honestly, as long as he's not going to break the bank, which I don't think he's going to, but you know, he knows the floor is offense, super reliable pass catcher. You know, he again, caught over 80% of his targets last year, you know, him paired with one of the, cause this is a good tight end class for the Packers to go find someone. So having that combination, I think can, will help set them better up for success rather than having to rely you know, solely and heavily on a, on a, on a rookie tight end. Cause rookies in general are going to experience ups and downs. I mean, I think many are excited in green Bay about their 2022 draft class as a whole. Uh, but in the midst of those flashes from several players, there was a lot of just that roller coaster ride that comes with the transition. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Michael Meyer guy. I'm not like a diehard Notre Dame fan, but I live in mm-hmm. Illinois and there's a large Notre Dame presence around me with family and stuff. That would be really interesting for Green Bay to consider. But, you know, we'll see what happens was really quick. Do you know the three tight ends offhand? Was one of them Kyle Pitts? I'm, did he break 600 yards with Atlanta? Probably. not. Yeah, it was Kyle. Pitts. Oh, it was Kyle. Um, Pitts. OK. Yeah. Yeah. He was the most recent one. Um, I would have to go back and look. There's an article from ESPN from, I think, Jamison Hensley. He's the one who. uh uh, went through that and explained it it's such an intriguing position like mm-hmm. I, I i wish i could go back in time and like play tight end like that would be my <laughs> thing um so i want to kind of veer away a little bit from the green bay packers point of view what is your honest opinion of what justin fields did for the chicago bears this season i think you saw uh progress with him which I mean, that's that's really what you want to see with a young quarterback and in that development. And obviously he has the ability to, and he did against the Packers to to burn them with with his legs. Um, you know, it, I think a lot of it just comes down to, as, as you guys all know, is what can he continue to develop as a passer uh, in, in that regard? And, you know, I know Luke Getze, obviously former uh, Packers quarterback coach, imagine brought some of that Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan S. Flair to help, you know, facilitate the quarterback development. But, you know, it's he's someone that, you know, Matt LaFleur in his press conferences talked very highly of just because of his ability to burn defenses multiple ways. And you know, again, we saw that against the the Green Bay Packers this season. Do you think Matt LaFleur would be able to is he the type of coach that would be able to get the most out of Justin Fields? Because I actually really like Matt LaFleur's offensive, you know, regimen and the way he does things. The Bears, they went out and hired a defensive coach. I, I like Eberflus, but mm-hmm. the final four coaches were all offensive minded coaches. Five of the last seven Super Bowl winners or whatever were offensive coaches. And the one that wasn't was Bill Belichick or, you know, something crazy. I forget the exact statistic, but it was something along those lines. Like, what are your thoughts on an offensive coach for developing a young quarterback like that? I mean, I I agree with you. I feel like that's the way that you, you got to go. And in, in regards to Matt LaFleur, I, you know, I mean, the, the Packers had the three consecutive 13 win seasons and, you know, they had Aaron Rodgers. He was playing at an MVP level. But I think this season, even though it ended missing the playoffs, for them to, you know, fight back to even get into that position when, you know, it could have been really easy to not do that, especially when they're on a five game losing streak. They're at home against the Cowboys and they're losing by, I think they were down by like 10 points or double digits in the fourth quarter. You know, you're on a five game losing streak. Season feels on the verge of just absolutely collapsing at that point. They fight back, get to overtime, get the win. 
And then I think they lost to Philly that next week, but then were able to put together, you know, that three, four game winning streak to end the season. I think that that's a, that stretch there, you know, it wasn't the, another 13 win season. It wasn't a trip to the NFC championship game, but I think that says a lot about Matt LaFleur as a leader in that locker room um, and his ability to keep the guys together and, you know, just continue to plug away. So I, I was just really impressed with how, and not just him, but the, the, the team as a whole as well was able to uh, recover from, you know, a down stretch. And again, they could have easily packed it in well before the end of the season. I'm going to ask you a serious question here, and this is not a joke. I'm being 100% real when I ask you this. The Vikings and the Packers have been like the cream of the crop of the division. I would say for most of my life, I'm 28 Mm -hmm. and especially Green Bay. I mean, you had Aaron Rodgers follow up Brett Favre. I mean, those two guys have made my life a living hell for the last 20 years that I've been watching football. Is it kind of a joke to think about the other teams in the division, potentially thinking that this could be the Bears time to step up with sustained success? I mean, they have the number one pick. They have a quarterback that they believe in. They have the you know, the most cap space in the NFL by far, or do the rest of the teams sit there and then we're not scared of the freaking Bears. They'll find a way to mess it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, f- for me, there is the have to see it a little bit first, just because, and it, that wouldn't just be the Bears, you know, that would be a, just about every team because, you know, we've seen a lot of number one picks, a lot of top quarterback selections that don't work out. You know, money and free agency is great, but it doesn't guarantee anything. But they have the pieces to the puzzle there to be able to put together, you know, to, to get to, to improve from where they've been and, you know, be a potential playoff team in the coming years. You can see that the formula is there. It's just, is it going to work out? So, I mean, I, I, I don't have any strong feelings as in, Oh, this is it. This is where the bears are going to take off, but I don't have anything, you know, I'm, I'm not holding history against them either and saying, ah, it's the bears. This isn't going to work out. I see a team with a lot of opportunity in front of them. And I know that's not a, uh, you know, sexy answer by any means, but that's just how I view it. They have a ton of opportunity in front of them, and it just comes down to are they going to be able to maximize and capitalize on it? Because at least in my memory, recent memory, I don't remember, recall any teams that have, you know, that level of draft capital, that level of, uh, you know, cap space when they already have like, but, you know, if they feel that way about fields, they're quarterback in place, you know, you can, and on the defensive side of the ball, um, so I think the potential is there for them. You just got to capitalize on it just like any other team would. Travis says, I'd be more scared of the lions. I think he's saying if he was assuming he was a Packers fan, he'd be more scared of the lions. And I tend to agree. They were <laughs> unbelievable in the second half of 2023. And mm-hmm. I like their coach. A lot of their losses were one score games. And to be honest with you, yeah, we were all in Chicago. A lot of people wanted the lions to win that final game of the season, but it was less fun. Mm-hmm. When, you know, they weren't getting in the playoffs if they won the game, I, it was the Seahawks that made it in yep. as the seven seed. I was like, oh, I'd much rather watch the Lions in the postseason go up against whoever the number two seed was. You know, we didn't know at the time, I don't think, but like mm-hmm. then the Lions, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It was just it was one of those things. Yeah, you could see it in Campbell's first year. And obviously the wins weren't there, but that team played hard for four quarters. And, you know, that's. You know, that says a lot about him and his ability as a leader when, you know, you, you got a team with two, three wins, whatever they had, but down the end of the stretch, they're still playing you hard for four quarters. And so that was kind of my first sign or sign where it was like, okay, there might be something 
brewing here. And then another year in the system, get some more talent added through free agency in the draft. And we really saw them take off. So yeah, I, I agree with that. They're, you know, they're uh, a formidable team. So as far as the NFC North goes, is it the Vikings for the next? I mean, what's your scope on the NFC North as a whole? Do the Vikings continue? I know they were like, probably in my opinion, the most intriguing team in the history of the NFL. They made mm-hmm. the playoffs with such that great record and a negative point differential. Yeah. And, the, you know, they, it took a huge comeback win to avoid it being an even worse point differential. I think it was that game in December where they were losing by like 27 or something, whatever it was, mm-hmm. 30, 30, maybe it was. I don't even remember. Like, I don't know if I trust the Vikings. The Packers have this Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat thing going on. The Lions have, you know, what they're going on. We just talked about same thing with the Bears. What is this division? <laughs> That's a great question. I think it's completely up in the air, honestly. Uh, I, will, I, I don't have a great answer because you can. I think you could make cases for just about any of them and why you could see things turning around, you know, or why they could be the team that season. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers returns, the Packers keep, you know, they're still going to have their core intact. You know, they add another receiver. You can, there's a, you can, you can draw paths for each team and seeing them, you know, emerge as, as, as a threat. So uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, at this time, it's really hard to kind of pick who that's going to be until we see what the off season beholds for each of them. And then from there, you know, what the, I know we know the opponents, but kind of what the schedules are going to look like for each of them. So the new calendar year in the NFL is about to start, and I will end on this. Uh, I I don't know the exact date. It's coming up soon, though. March 15th. Are you March fifteenth? Are you heading into that with positive or negative feelings when it comes to your Green Bay Packers? I think it depends on your your outlook. So for me, pretty in tune with the team. I understand that there isn't going to be any big spending that's out there. They just you know it's going to be like last off season. They just don't have the cap space to go and get a big name guy. So I guess if your expectation is, oh, we need a, we need a receiver, you know, to be, you know, I'd have to look, but like who some of the top receivers are specifically, but oh, trade for T Higgins. Or yeah, Mike exactly. Evans. Like, yeah, that's not realistic. So I guess, I guess I'm, I guess I'm neutral. I don't feel strongly one way or the other, just because I don't see a path to getting anyone that's, you know, like I said, a splash signing, but they have needs that they have to address. And so, like I said, edge rushers, tight end, we talked about a few of them. So I guess I'm kind of in the middle of it in the sense of I'm just expecting nothing major, just kind of like last off season. And so I can see coming off an eight and nine season where you hear that and you'd be like, oh, well, that sucks. And I guess it does. But it's just kind of the reality of the situation for them. They have a lot of talented players still on their team. Just I think a lot of the de- – development if they're going to improve at all it's going to have to come internally that's the big thing there isn't going to be the splash signing we've already talked about just the up and downs that rookies have like the development is going to have to come from guys already on the roster christian watts and romeo dobbs are going to have to take steps forward the offensive line obviously can help injuries but need that group to be healthy and the interior josh myers john runyon need more consistency from them the interior defensive line, the pass rush, got to get after the quarterback more consistently. You know how they use Jair, how they use their quarterback, cornerbacks. You know that was head scratching at the start of the season as well. Razul Douglas has never played. I shouldn't say never. I think he had like seventy or eighty slot snaps over his five six year career before last year. Guess where he's starting week one in the slot. 
And then he didn't start playing his best football until he was back on the boundary where he's more comfortable. So a lot of the how the guys are utilized, the game plan that's drawn up, the execution, the level of play, if the Packers are going to be better, it's going to come internally. And what they do in free agency, it's just going to be, you know, building some depth, getting some experience. It's going to be fringe things. For sure. Paul, I honestly, I don't know if I've ever had a more intelligent Green Bay Packers conversation (laughs) in my entire life, and I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. Promote yourself. Tell people where they could find you, your work, your coworkers' work, all the great Packers stuff that you do at Dairyland Express. I, I was telling Aldo before the show today. I'm always so impressed with how Dairyland Express is right there with the Windy City in terms <laughs> of numbers. And, and, you know, we have 5 million people that live in Chicago and the Bears fan, you know, Illinois is significantly more populated and Dairyland Express is out there just dominating <laughs> with Green Bay Packers content. And, of course, they do great work for the Milwaukee Brewers and the Bucks and all that, too. So promote your and your guys' work. Outstanding stuff. I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me on, Vinny, and I, I appreciate uh, the help that you always provide me. So when I need my Bears insight, I always go to Vinny, and he's always been super, super gracious and helpful, and I very much appreciate your time uh, helping me with that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel if you want to keep up to date with what the Packers are doing. Uh, and then I do I write for Dairyland Express, as Vinny mentioned, as well as Packers Wire. PackersWire.com, DairylandExpress.com. Make sure you're following Paul and try not to roast him too much when Aaron (laughs) Rodgers leaves and, you know, them getting eliminated every year is our Super Bowl. So we technically have 26 Super Bowls in my lifetime and he only has one. You know, that's incredible for me. So credit to me. Go Bears. I guess you'll say go Packers. Paul, we can't thank you enough as always. And we will send everybody to a quick commercial break. What I liked about him when I saw him in person at the East-West. So I think this kid gives you a lot of potential in terms of what you're looking for up front. I see him in the Bears offense as a Z or a slot receiver, not the X, because they want the real big guy playing the X. He could be sitting out there in the third round, and you could be getting a guy that could be your situational pass rusher. I think he's a perfect fit for what I've been told the Bears are looking for. This is my three techniques for the Bears, especially if you don't take a guy like Jalen Carter at the top of the draft. This will be a nice pickup. It's perfectly in the system. My gut feeling is this would not be a guy the Bears would take. It's a good name because that's a guy that I'm intrigued by. Obviously, here with, mm-hmm. with the Bears, you know, defensive line, defensive front is, is a huge need. I think he's the best center in, in this draft. Welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk. Paul Brettel is one of the great people at the Fan Sided Network at the Packers Wire. I, it was a wonderful interview. He he takes the Chicago Bears Green Bay Packers rivalry in stride the way everybody should. No hurt feelings or anything like that. Like that's just the way we like to banter here, and that was too much fun. I can't wait for the next Bears Packers game. Maybe next time the Bears play the Packers, Paul and I. We'll come up with a way to like stream something or do something fun. I think that would be really, really good. He does great work. Make sure you go follow him at Pat uh, or Paul underscore Brettel. That was outstanding. Now it is time for baseball. Welcome to the baseball portion of this baseball show. Tim Anderson 
is the big, big, big story. We're going to start with the White Sox, and then we're going to go into the Cubs. I have a little exercise for the Cubs, and then I'll do that same exercise for the White Sox next week. But we'll start with the White Sox. A couple news and notes before I get into this Cubs exercise. Tim Anderson's the big story at camp right now because of some of the things him and Chuck Garfine talked about. You can go to Spotify, Apple, whatever, wherever you find this show, you can find this interview between Tim Anderson and Chuck Garfine, friend of the program, Chuck Garfine. I've interviewed him twice. And, you know, Chuck, 2022 sucked. Okay, it was horrible. You watched this show. You saw how angry I was on a weekly basis. Well, guess what? I thought Chuck was relatively nice to the White Sox for how they performed last year. And, you know, he was critical. There's no doubt he was critical. He does his job. He does his job well. He wasn't as critical as this guy right here. You know, I said things about Tony La Russa and the White Sox that, like, you know, people were up in arms at me about. Well, Chuck, he said a lot of those same things, too. And him and Tim Anderson, they kind of hashed it out a little bit. And we have a clip for you to listen to right here. The plan is, you know, we know not to, you know, do what we did last year. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of room to grow. And, um, you know, just a lot of confusion. A lot of people pulling from from different angles, you know, uh, not just in the clubhouse. You know, fans as well. Um, a little bit of everybody. So, uh, you know, the ultimate goal is, you know, try to, try to dumb that down and get it back on. You know, pulling from the same screen with everybody, including you. Including me. What do you mean including me? Who are you? What are you trying to say? I ain't got to say it. You know what? I, I, well, <laughs> that, that I was questioning why you guys couldn't win? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're a part of this and you're, like, and you're like one of our supporters and you see somebody struggling, that's like, you know, that's kind of like, uh, you know, if you see your wife struggling, you're going to pat her on the back, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of those things. If we're under the same umbrella, I think we should all be pulling from the same screen and not tearing each other down um, and not tearing players down. Or, you know, we don't tear you down. So yeah. I think it's just one of those things. we got to support each other. We support you. We make ourselves access to you, yeah. you know, when you want to talk to us. So it's just kind of one of those things that we all got to be, you know, be on a positive screen and pull from the same screen. And uh, I think we can be better as a whole. Yeah. Was I tearing you down? No, you weren't tearing me down. You just making, you was causing a lot of confusion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, I was causing, I was, <laughs> listen, to, after a, a lot. I mean, but you got to think about it. The fans listen to you. Yeah. Right. You're right. talking. We don't talk. We just play. <laughs> well, you, no, you talk. You can talk. We don't We don't talk, though. We're in the game zone. We don't talk. They're listening to you. Right. So uh, if we're putting out positive energy, then positive energy is going to always yeah. follow us. You know what I'm saying? I tried. Yeah. I tried to be as positive season. as I could. Okay. It's a rough season. It's okay. <laughs> we understand. Um, you know, but but don't even go, man. It's to, you know, just continue to go out and, and play hard. And, uh, you know, really see what happened. It was a very interesting interview. There are people that are up in arms about it one way or another. Um, I think Tim Anderson is right and wrong. He's, excuse me, he's right in the fact that they just play. You know, those are humans. And there are some nasty things that were probably said to them over the course of the 162 games last year. And they probably were pretty tired of it by the end of the year. Jose Abreu left after, you know, in 2020, he was like, I'm going to force myself to sign. I'm, you know, I'm going to force them to sign me, whatever. And then he was just so eager to go to a different team after last year. I mean, something was wrong. Okay, last season stunk. I don't know if it was what was going on with Tony. All my critiques of Tony LaRusso were baseball related. It was nothing personal. I know nothing. I'm not in the clubhouse. I don't know how he handles players in terms of the way he treats them or whatever. All my critiques were about baseball-related things, walking guys, 
who are down one, two in the count, like in uh, the intentional walk down one, two in the count, certain bullpen situations, playing Luis Robert when he could, clearly couldn't swing using his other hand. Uh, Michael Kopech started that game and he clearly was ailing something on his lower body and they let him go the whole first inning and he gave up a bomb because he couldn't get his velocity up because his leg was in pain. Like, you know, so those things, those are baseball-related things. I don't know what went on in the clubhouse. I don't pretend to know what went on in the clubhouse. I go with what my eyeballs tell me. And clearly Tim Anderson heard something from Chuck last year that, you know, I don't know what. Chuck, he's a lot more intelligent than most people that talk about the White Sox, including me. And I am just – I hope Tim Anderson and Chuck – figure it out, but Aldo puts it perfectly in the chat. Tim Anderson has no idea what Chuck's job is all about. He's a White Sox analyst, not a cheerleader or a wife. Chuck would be ran out of town if he sucked up to Tim, and that is just so, so true. I mean, you even remember going back, like when Mike Dicko was the coach of the Bears, flipping people off and telling them to get the hell out and stuff like that. Like, that being a reporter in Chicago is different and you're dealing with a whole different animal. And those of us who work here at the barroom network know what it's like to these fans, but you know, Tim Anderson's got to figure it out and you know, nobody's going to cheer for you when you literally stink. And guess what, Tim, you weren't there in the second half of the season when things got like really bad with Tony in late August, early September. And then he got sick and he left and the team started to play better. You weren't there for that. I mean, you were there for that. You were in the dugout and stuff at home games and you're a part of the team and no one's questioning your commitment to baseball, but like you weren't helping them contribute on the field and no fault of your own. You got hurt. You had surgery, you're back. But I mean, Chuck did nothing wrong. If anything, come at people like me or like, you know, the Mike Norths of the world who were actually like uh, us two were like hard on you last year. Chuck, I'm not going to say he gave you guys a pass, but he certainly wasn't as brutal as he could have been last year. I thought by most standards, he is someone who was light on you guys. And Travis talks about Tim wants accolades for doing good, but doesn't want criticism. Yeah, I mean, that's just very true. And Tim Anderson wasn't good with his glove last year. He was good the year before. I do believe that with Tony LaRussa gone and the better vibes in the room, that things are going to be a lot better. And this is going to be laughed about in the coming year or in the coming months. I hope, you know, we'll know pretty early what the Chicago White Sox team is. And I'm not going to take a lot of stock in what happens in the first series against the Houston Astros. I'm not. The Houston Astros are the defending World Series champions who replaced Yuli Gurriel with Jose Abreu. And, you know, I'm not too sure what their pitching staff is going to be. I mean, Verlander's not there anymore, but they always just seem to pump out good people at their positions. And, you know, Carlos Correa leaves, and all of a sudden this Jeremy Pena kid comes in and is arguably better. And both Correa and Pena were Gold Glove nominees last year. I mean, it is a very interesting situation there in Houston and the White Sox, they, they opened the season against them. If they went two and two, I, I would be thrilled with that, but we'll see what happens. The uh, Andrew Vaughn, he's going to be taken over at first base and we saw him interview with Chuck as well. Came out today. I don't have that clip, but I do know I, a piece went up about it on southsideshowdown.com by one of our newest writers. You could go check that out. Andrew Vaughn is replacing Jose Abreu at first base, and he's now hoping to become the fourth in a long line of great consecutive White Sox first basemen, right? We had 
Frank Thomas played for the White Sox at first base. Then when he became the designated hitter, you moved in Paul Konerko. And then Paul Konerko was a legendary White Sox player for a long time, one of the greatest moments in the history of the team when he hit a grand slam in game two of the World Series. And then, you know, they ended up winning that game in the series, and Paul will be a legend forever. And then you follow that up with Jose Abreu, who is also one of the top ten greatest White Sox players who ever lived. And he was the model of consistency for the decade or so that he was there with the White Sox and or just under a decade. And now you move on to Andrew Vaughn, who was the third overall pick out of Cal in 2019. That's a really good player. And he led the White Sox in home runs last year. Uh, people were pissed that he uh, White Sox team leader had 17 home runs. Well, yeah, of course. But you're not mad at Andrew Vaughn for hitting 17 home runs. You're mad at everybody else for not being healthy enough or good enough to hit more than that. Andrew Vaughn hitting 17 home runs in year two is outstanding. And he can only go up from here. And now that he's not trying to learn a new position on the fly, he could just go out there and play first base that he's been playing his whole life, hit in the middle of the order. He's going to have good protection with Eloy and Luis Robert and Andrew Benintendi's there now. There's all sorts of great ways for Andrew Vaughn to get down this year and really, really, really hit the ball well, and I think playing first base will help him in that category. Eloy Jimenez, he has apparently showed up to spring training, and he's 20 to 30 pounds slimmer. We all know what it feels like to drop the extra 20, 30 pounds and how good that can make you feel. Eloy Jimenez, he's doing this in an attempt, I think, to play outfield. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's what should happen. Andrew Benintendi is your left fielder. Luis Robert is your center fielder. I would let Oscar Colas start opening day in right field. I would. I'm sorry. The contingent windows now. I'm not worried about what's going on with contracts and stuff in 2027. The White Sox will probably suck in 2027. Most teams aren't good for longer than five years. So you got to try and take advantage of it now. I'm letting Oscar Colas play in right field. And it sounds to me, based on the comments that Pedro Grafal has made over the last little bit, that he will get this opportunity in right field as early as day one. And there are a lot of White Sox beat reporters predicting the same thing. So that's what I'm going with as of right now. But as far as Aloy, man, you showed everyone you made the mistake last year of showing everyone that you can hit when you're a DH. The year before, I would have told you Eloy Jimenez has to poorly play the outfield because that's how he gets you know, his juice is flowing and it allows him to be an elite hitter. Well, last year, Aloy Jimenez showed everyone that he could just be the fatty that is a DH the whole time. And I know he lost a bunch of weight, but he could be the guy who smashes home runs, then hits the dugout. And, you know, that's what we're expecting from Eloy. Nobody ever wants to see Eloy Jimenez play the outfield ever again, where he karate chops walls or jumps into the mesh, which makes him land in a hard chair or you know, smash into Luis Robert in center field. We know both of those guys are made of glass, so you want them colliding as least as possible. Um, I, I would let Eloy just be the DH and go out there and be, be himself, be the hitter. He can hit the ball to Pluto, right? I was at the game when he hit the ball over the a batter's eye in center field. And, you know, that was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in person. It was like the moon landing, literally. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Eloy Jimenez is the only player on the White Sox that can do stuff like that. And hoping that he's able to be an impact player. He is my prediction to lead the White Sox in home runs this season. Now, that was my short little soliloquy on the White Sox. I have a little exercise here that I want to go through with the Cubs. And I want everybody to answer in the chat whether or not you think I'm crazy for this list that I'm about to present to you. Let me know why I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm an idiot. I want to hear it all. 
And I will be doing this exact same thing for the White Sox on next Crosstown Crosstalk next week. So if you're interested in hearing what I have to say about this in terms of the Southsiders, make sure you tune in next week, 2 p.m., same time. I'm sure I'll have another guest. I don't have anything lined up for sure yet, but I'm excited to be doing this stuff for the White Sox and the Cubs all season long. And maybe we'll go through and before the season starts, do this a similar type exercise for the league as a whole. Because I would like to, you know, this point of this show is to look at the White Sox and the Cubs from an entire Major League Baseball scale. So we'll do that for the league as a whole in the coming weeks as well. Maybe we'll do both the Sox and MLB next week. Um, but it's the top five most important Cubs in 2023. And I'm not talking the best players on the Cubs, which this list might kind of represent the best players on the Cubs. But this is the most important players who will help the Cubs be good this year, next year, in the future, in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they'll get traded for a lot of a big haul. So that can improve the team's future going forward. There are lots of different explanations for each of these people and why they're on the list. And I want to know in the chat or on Twitter, at Vinny Parisi, whether or not you agree with me. Coming in at number five is Ian Happ. Ian Happ was the Chicago Cubs all-star last year. He was supposed to be traded at the date trade deadline alongside Wilson Contreras, and they let those two give each other hugs and whatnot and, you know, cry in the dugout, have a little champagne, glass of wine in the dugout. Hey, it's been good being a Cub all this time. And then the trade deadline comes and go, and they have to go play at Wrigley Field again for the rest of the season after having this little, you know, tummy sticks fest all summer long. Well, Ian Happ is back. Obviously, Wilson Contreras, his contract was up. Ian Happ had the extra year. and Contreras is in St. Louis, but Ian Happ is still with the Chicago Cubs. I do believe he will put on a fantastic season. The reason I have him as one of the most important Cubs in 2023, there's two reasons. One, if the Cubs do surprise a bunch of people and make it look like they're a team that can be on top of the American League Central Division, they could, they will need Ian Happ to be that type of player that he was last year. And, you know, if they're not, They'll trade him for assets, which will help them in the future, because uh, I think they would get fairly good stuff for Ian Happ, especially from a contending team that needs an outfielder. If that's the case, he's important to the Cubs because he helps them in their future in that way. So at number five, I have Ian Happ. At number four is Seiya Suzuki. Suzuki started off last season. He was one of the best players in baseball. And, you know, uh, injuries derailed him a little bit, but he proved that he can be a very, very good player here in North America after coming over from Japan last year. It was a little bit of adjustment throughout the whole season, but he did get through it all, and he's a very good player, and I do believe if the Cubs are a good team this year, Seiya will have a lot to do with it. At number three is Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman, as of today, I'm going to go write a post about this on DeWittyCityGock.com as soon as I'm done with this show about how the Cubs announced that Stroman is going to start their very first preseason game this Saturday. And yeah, for those of you who don't know, pre or spring training, I think I call it preseason, spring training starts on Saturday for actual exhibition games. Spring training started last week, and we've been going over that for a little bit now, but the actual exhibition games themselves start on Saturday. The Cubs announced that Stroman is going to be their starting pitcher in that game, and I think he will probably end up being the ace of their staff throughout this entire season. So Marcus Stroman, I do believe, is the third most important player on the Cubs because he could set the tone for the entire pitching staff. At number two, Nico Horner. Nico Horner, to me, 
was an elite player last year. He should have probably been an all-star. He was one of the best Cubs on the whole team, but he was playing shortstop. And what makes him a very important player to me this year is the fact that he is moving to second base. And that is going to be huge for the Cubs because it will impact the depth on their entire infield. And I'm sure that's something that will help the Cubs become a better team if he does, in fact, play second base as well as he played shortstop. And one thing I wanted to mention, and I feel this way about Andrews playing second base for the White Sox too, a career shortstop. Both the White Sox and the Cubs have a career shortstop playing second base for them in 2023. The shift is gone. So it's going to be a lot less hanging out in right field and relying on your shortstop to make big plays with their range. The second baseman having more range is more important now than it's ever been because they're going to have to move to their left and right a little more because of the fact that there's no shift. And I think moving Nico Horner over from second or from shortstop to second base is something that will help the Cubs in that area. If there was someone on the team that could make a transition like that, it would be him. And his bat was En Fuego last year. I thought he was a brilliant hitter. And the Cubs, they got a really good player there in that 2018 draft first round. And Nico Horner comes in at number two on my list. At number one is Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson is their big, big, big free agent signing from this offseason. And they paid him one of the richest contracts that any player got. Shortstops as a whole collected over a billion dollars, I believe, between Swanson, Trey Turner to the Phillies, um, Carlos Correa back to the Twins. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the other one, though. There was another huge shortstop. Oh, Xander Bogarts to the San Diego Padres. You know, these guys, it's a huge position. The Cubs... They believe in Dansby, and Dansby had a breakout season offensively last year, but he was a World Series champion the year before with the Atlanta Braves. So I think a guy like Dansby Swanson can really make an impact on this team if he continues to hit the way he did. Listen, he picked the perfect year to have like a truly breakout offensive season. It was a contract year, and guys always perform extra well when they know that a lot of dough is on the line. Well, Dansby Swanson took advantage, but one thing he always was, even before the breakout offensive season, was an elite defensive shortstop. I do believe Swanson and Horner will make magic on the middle infield for the Cubs this season, and those are my two most important players, or five most important players for the Chicago Whites or the Chicago Cubs this season. Aldo wants to know, Vin, what about Al or Adbert Alzali? Adbert Elzali, man, that's a name. From 2020, he was really, really good in their rotation. And I think he's a pretty good player. You know, he'll be a part of their rotation. I think if he does come in and have tremendous success as a starting pitcher for the Cubs, they would obviously benefit. I don't know if he'll start in the bullpen or if he'll even start in AAA. He had some good times with the Cubs before missing most of last year, but I don't even know if I would include Edward Alzali in my top 20 most important Cubs going into the season, just because I'm not sure about what is going to happen with his playing time this year. And, you know, we'll see what happens when it comes to that, but hopefully something good. He was very good in September. That is true. And he's one of those players that like, he's shown tremendous flashes and I would love to see him stick with this team and stay healthy and become one of the top pitchers in the rotation. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Hendricks, the last standing member of the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. And, you know, he's injured. He's probably going to miss the start of the year. Are they going to trade him? Is anybody even going to want him? Are the Cubs even going to want him? Um, 
Jamison Talion is there. We saw what guys like Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele did in their rotation last year. The Cubs have the potential to – it's a lot of question marks behind Marcus Stroman, very similar to the White Sox. There's Dylan Cease and then four question marks. It's a very similar situation with the Cubs with their pitching rotation, but I do think it has potential to be very, very good. I would like to know – message us in the Barroom Network. Make sure you tune in next week. Send me tweets. Tell me what you think of my list. I am curious to hear what Cubs fans who are smarter than me think of this top five most important Cubs list. Am I missing someone crazy? Do you think Cody Bellinger deserves a spot on the list? Okay, bringing him in. Um, he hasn't been good the last couple of years, but the Cubs paid him to come in and try and have a resurrection in his career. Does his success this year make or break the Cubs? It's very possible. If he stinks, the team stinks. Is he good? The team good? There, there's certainly a case to be made for that, which would put him on the important list. Again, this isn't the best player list. This is the most important list, and you could argue a guy like Al Zalai being good is important to the Cubs, or a guy like Cody Bellinger being good for the Cubs. We shall see. I'm excited to do this list for the White Sox, too, and I'm excited to reevaluate these lists halfway through the season, <clears throat> after the season, all sorts of stuff like that. So it's been really, really good. If you want to keep up to date with everything going on in Chicago White Sox and Chicago Cubs spring training, you can read all of my stuff regarding the Cubs on DeWindyCity.com and all of my stuff regarding the White Sox on SouthsideShowdown.com. And I highly encourage you to read my football and hockey stuff as well on the other sites that I write for. You can find it all on my Twitter, at Vinny Parisi. And make sure you watch the rest of the Barroom Network shows here where you can learn about the Chicago Bulls and the upcoming NFL draft. And Frank and I on Bar Down Talking Hockey have lots of great things going on with the NHL trade deadline approaching this Friday. Is Patrick King going to get traded? Is he going to sign an extension? Where is Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks going to end up? There's all sorts of great things that we are going to be talking about in the coming weeks, and it is also our 100th episode of Bar Down next Wednesday, and I am super duper excited to be a part of that. And of course, you could go to the new Patreon. We retweet, we all retweeted it at the Barroom Network's Twitter at Barroom Network. You could find the link and support our guys, Danny Shimon and Greg Gabriel, as they break down things in regards to the upcoming 2023 NFL draft. There's a $5 subscription, a $10 subscription, a great way for fans to be more informed about what's going on with their football team as they head into this huge Chicago Bears offseason. I can't encourage people enough. I've seen some of the previews. This work, you could clearly tell, is passionate, filled with love, um, knowledgeable, just stuff you really, really need to participate in. A low, low fee of $5. You could get the premier package for $10. Cheap, cheap, cheap ways to be the best football fan you could be, and you can only find that here at the Barroom Network. I can't thank everybody enough for listening to our show and Paul Brettel for coming in and talking a little Wisconsin football with us. And, you know, Travis says, I hear the South Burbs Hitman is a pretty good show. You are correct, sir. I wasn't even going to bring that up because, you know, we still got a couple weeks to go before that show starts for good. I know we had our debut episode with Jake Berger, and now we're back to just waiting for the season to start. But, yes, the South Burbs Hitman are back this year. Um, we've made plenty of upgrades to the show, and I think everybody's going to be very excited for the some of the things we have in store for this upcoming Chicago White Sox season, regardless of how they play on the field and how they act off the field. It's going to be a great time. So I can't thank everybody enough for listening and I hope everybody enjoys this big weekend. Make sure you're tuning in to all the shows at the Barroom Network. Find me and my work on Twitter at Vinny Parisi. And as always, thank you for listening. Another happy landing.